So, as Lara said, um, Andy is the CEO of the Christian Nature Conservation Charity um, Arusha UK, um, which runs the Eco Church Scheme, which I'm sure you'll have heard me talk about. If you haven't, come and talk to me and I'll talk to you about it. Um, it's why we have the plaques up on the windowsill in the foyer, so do go and admire those. Um, Andy and a team from Arusha um, came to run an Aqua Nature event yesterday at Highgrove, which was fantastic. Um, so we had lots of people in the building, in the garden, and in the community garden. They spread out. It was warm, so we had to spread out. Um, and yeah, it was just really great. And it's great that you have stuck around in Bristol and come to talk to us today. Thanks for having me. So can you tell us um, a little bit more about yourself and how you came to be the CEO of Arusha? Well, thank you, yes. I'm actually son of missionaries. Um, I, for those of you who've been watching the recent TV programme, I'm actually a 10-pound pom. My parents emigrated uh, when I was about 18 months old, so I obviously don't remember Britain before we left. So I grew up in the north of Australia between uh, the mainland and Papua New Guinea on a series of islands there where my parents were working with the church. Um, so I thought I was Australian until when there was about, I was about 11. They said, oh, we're going home, which is lovely, but it wasn't my home. They, so, so I'm a classic third culture kid, as they call it, who grew up somewhere else and then has come back to where I was born, but I didn't know the place. So uh, I've been here since I was 11. Um, from there, I carried on, you know, obviously living at home with my parents, but they lived in Worcestershire and then the east end of London. Very big contrast. I went from tropical island in the Pacific small village in Worcestershire to the east end of London, um, all in five years, which frankly did my head in. Um, and uh, I was probably quite a bad teenager, really. Um, but I got into bird watching. My, uh, an aunt of mine, who was a secondary school teacher, said to my mum, this boy's going to be troubled. You need to give him something to focus him back on. And actually brought me a pair of binoculars and shoved me out the door, kind of thing. And I got really into bird watching. So I was always keen on nature, but I didn't call it that. It was just like in Australia, that was, it was just there, you know. Uh, in Britain, it wasn't quite so simple. So I got really into nature, and it kind of went from there. Um, I've always loved nature. Oddly enough, I went on to study, well, maybe not oddly, geography, economic geography, Latin America, and worked a lot on international human rights issues. Always a strong interest in justice and then international development issues. I didn't actually start working on the environment until really much later, but I was always very, very keen on nature. Um, and then what really got me going on... on, on on environment was climate change. When I was working at Tear Fund, seeing, reading the science, looking at the evidence, seeing what, or this is now 25 years ago, what the early signs of climate change were already doing to poor communities. I just thought this is going to be massive for society, for people, for the poor. Um, and so started working on climate change there. Um, fast forward, I then went to Friends of the Earth, so Christian leading a secular campaigning organization. Then about eight years ago, the chief of Arosha came to me to say, look, we're thinking of trying to turn what is still a small local organization, Arosha UK, into something that could have a national impact. Um, how do you suppose we could, we could do that? We're asking you as a Christian who leads a national organization. So I gave them some advice. I never dreamt in a million years that I would then become the chief executive of Arosha. That wasn't my plan at all. Um, but various things happened, and all of a sudden I thought, ah, oh, um, you know, in fact, they asked me to apply for the job, so here I am. But it was one of those strange God events where I was advising on my future job, but didn't know it, you know? <laughs> <laughs> so, so I've been here for seven years now, and picking up an organization that was, I mean, I'm sure some of you here will have been long-standing supporters of Arosh UK, but by 
Eight years ago, it had done some brilliant work, but it was quite struggling. And the decision was, you know, either we make it a really good local organization, and somehow we need to fund that, or we try to have a national impact and have a completely different strategy. So, if you like, I was brought in to do that, and you can judge whether it's working, but, you know. <laughs> Fantastic. Um, so, yeah, getting into Arusha, what is Arusha UK? And what do you stand for? What do you do? And what is the progress that you're making? Uh, all good questions. So, first of all, the name. Some of you may know. Anybody here speak Portuguese? Because that will... No, okay. So, Arusha means the rock in Portuguese. So, why is a British organisation caused by a, a Portuguese name? Basically, the founders of Arusha were a British couple, who were also crazy bird washers, who set up a study center for nature on the Algarve coast of Portugal. And they named the study center after, or the organization, after a nearby cliff, which in Portuguese is called the rock. <laughs> so there's the curly uh, origin of the name Arosha. Now that was in Portugal, 1983. The, the few Christians who were really interested in nature, particularly from the evangelical side of the church, you know, where it was kind of pretty rare to be both environmentally and Christian inclined, heard about this and went there from all over the world. And lots of people thought, oh, we want one of those in our country. So somebody went there and thought, we want that in the UK, and came back and founded Arosha UK in a very poor part of West London in Southall, um, starting off as a community uh, project with local volunteers, uh, renewing a local park which had fallen into disuse um, to make it really good again for the local people and nature. So that's how Arosha UK began only 20 years ago, um, but inspired by that original Arosha in Portugal. And we're now part of a network of 24 Aroshas around the world. We're all independent charities, but we cooperate with each other under the same banner. So then in the UK, as from about eight years ago, we kind of reset the mission to say, look, we're tiny, we're always going to be tiny. We're never going to be like the National Trust or RSPB and own lots of land. So how can we have a national impact? So we basically said, look, we will, we will carry on doing conservation work ourselves. We, we must keep our hands in the earth as it is and, and, and keep doing it, but we will try to mobilize many others to do the same. So we reset our mission to be one much more of facilitating Christians and churches to do this for themselves, rather than trying to do it all ourselves. And since then, since we, we did that, um, you know, the mission became mobilizing Christians and churches to care for God's creation, basically. We then rolled out things like the Eco Church program for churches to help them keep going and you know, do, do work on a whole range of fronts, from cutting carbon to how they manage their land, how you manage your land for nature if you have land and so on. We rolled out the Wild Christian program which is really to help individuals and, 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 and households do the right thing, but also keep going, you know, have some joy in the environment, not just feel the responsibility. Uh, we've now also then got the, um, a, a, a program for Christian land managers. Uh, let me explain that. When you think about it, there are lots of Christian conference centers, retreat centers, activity centers, schools. There's dozens and dozens of Christian organizations in this country that own land. Now, they're not environmentalists. They're there because they're a school or they're providing conferences or whatever. But we've suggested to many, look, here's an idea. If we can advise you on how to use your land for nature, can we have a collaboration? So no money changes hands, but we've now got a network of 40 different Christian organizations with land that we advise on how to manage their land for nature. Um, and so between us then, in terms of how's it going, 
Our aim is to have 25,000 acres of that kind of land. We've got 4,000 so far, between the 40 of us, 4,000 acres, but rapidly more organisations wanting to join us. And then on, go back a bit, on, on, on EcoChurch, there are now 6,000 churches in England and Wales registered with EcoChurch, which is more than 10%, and our, which was our original target for 10 years. We got there in about seven. No, less. We got there in six. Um, so we're now trying to get 25% of churches in England and Wales signed up to EcoChurch and taking action by 2025. And while Christian, um, some of you may have signed up to that already, and you can sign up today if you want. It's free. Um, it, it, it's for you. It's to help you do the right thing in your home and so on. So there's 6,000 plus now people signed up to that. Kind of bi-monthly bulletin, webinars, Facebook group, whatever people find useful to encourage themselves, share lessons, that sort of stuff. So no, going, I mean, heaven knows, there's so much more we need to do. But in terms of changing from, you know, really one small organization working on two local reserves, and we still have two local reserves, to one having national impact, it's, you know, by the grace of God, it's, it's gone much faster than we dared believe it would, to be honest. So. Fantastic. Thank you. Um, so, yeah, as Laura said earlier, this is the second week of our two-part mini-series looking at the climate crisis. Um, you've been working in this sector for a while now. Um, do you have a hope that we can turn this climate crisis around? And what can we as individuals do to make a difference? Mm. Yeah, it's, uh, I saw that. It's an interesting question. I, I do have a hope, but I suppose like a lot of people who've been working on climate change a long time, I also have to express a huge frustration because the signs were obvious if you knew how to read them 25, 30 years ago. So I spent the last, you know, the early part of my career trying to head off what is now happening. And we failed. I mean, it's not my fault, but many of us could see this coming down the tracks and were desperately trying to avert it. And, and, and we just could not persuade governments in particular to act. So there'd be many of my generation so angry, frankly, that, that it, it's totally predictable and we just couldn't get people to act. Having said that, I do have hope, not that there won't be problems, it's going to get worse, um, but that we can prevent it being very, very much worse if we do the right thing. So a very quick example, um, you will have heard that you know, the, 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 the scientists have advised that we should try to avoid, um, we should try to cap temperature rise at 1.5 degrees. Now, very, very difficult to do. Um, Originally, and I remember campaigning for it to be two degrees, when there was no limit at all, people just thought, well, we'll just sort of stop it somewhere out there. And we said, no, two degrees is, is too much. Make it 1.5. Now, a research report came out from the UN about four years ago that showed the difference between 1.5 and 2. And it's catastrophic. At 1.5, you probably have a billion people displaced. At 2, you probably have two to three billion people displaced from their homes, okay? So every little bit of effort that we can make, every fraction of a degree counts. Um, and, that's the, and that's where, you know, we, we've got to keep pushing on this one and go much faster, much bigger scale. The other area where I have hope is that so many of the things that we need to do for climate change are really good things to do anyway. Why would you not do them? So the benefits, not just in terms of slowing and stopping climate change, but for everything else. I'll give an example. Um, air pollution. 40 to 50,000 people a year die in the UK and always have done, I mean, for, for decades, because of air pollution. Um, now, that same air pollution is also 
carbon. It is adding to particular matter um, from fossil fuels, actually from car tires, believe it or not, as well. Um, it's a lot of things involved in that pollution causing. But actually, if you can stop that, you, you do such a benefit to public health as well as to climate change. Another example, um, we are rapidly depleting our carbon sinks, okay, so Amazon rainforest, but also our own wetlands, grasslands, whatever, which absorb carbon. We need to restore those. We need to renew those, and we can do it. We know how to do it. But if you do that for climate change, you're also creating habitat for wildlife. You're creating green spaces for people to enjoy. I, I could go on. The, the co-benefits, as they call it in the techie language, the, 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 the mutual benefits of doing the right thing on climate are just endless. And, and so I, I, I get really excited about what we can do, not just because what it will help us do with climate, but it'll make our communities so much nicer. Which, which, you know, is quite an incentive to me, and I think probably is for a lot of Christians, you know. God's put us in a place. We're here to serve. We want it to be a place that people feel at home in and, have, you know, and can rejoice and, and, and feel the benefits that God gives us. Why would you not want to do that? You know? So those are the kind of things that keep me going. Fantastic. Um, we have mentioned Eco Church already. I can talk about it a lot. Um, but do you think there's a particular role for churches in addressing climate change? No, no I really, really do. And, 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 you know, I think we would probably all agree here that it's never too late to do the right thing. And even if you think that won't make much difference in the world, you know, your little effort, it's still the right thing to do. Morally, it's the right thing to act, even if it doesn't appear to make much difference. So I think there's, you know... There's, we have a biblical mandate as, as Christians to care for God's creation, whether or not it stops climate change, to be honest. Having said that, and we've, we've done our sums at Arosha UK, we've done a bit of analysis, and we think the churches have huge potential to make a really, really big difference. Now, I won't say too much more. If you want more information, um, there's a, a past edition of our magazine, the one with the owl on the front out there. Do take a copy of that. explains in a lot more detail. But the headlines are these. When you think about it, we've got unique assets as, as, as churches and Christians. There's a church probably, there's 50,000 uh, self-defined Christian churches in this country, in every village, city, neighborhood, whatever. Between us, we've probably got two to three million regular worshippers. Um, most have got buildings, not all. So the potential, not just to cut our own carbon, but to demonstrate to those in the community around how we can do it, and that we as Christians care, it's just phenomenal. And then when you add to that other things like, um, what if even a quarter of Christians in their workplace, in their university, their school, in their care home, in wherever they are, said, why aren't we doing more about the environment? And what if a quarter of Christians wrote to their MP saying, why aren't we going faster in the UK? The impact would be huge. So actually, we think we could have a huge impact as Christians and churches, for society, for God, for nature, if we, if we act. And we're already starting to see that. I mean, some of you will be aware that in the last um, three, four years, many of the major you know, main, you know, mainstream or historical denominations have, have committed to getting to net zero in their carbon. Now, how they do that, whether that's possible, another debate. But five years ago, you never would have dreamt that the Anglican Church, the Methodist Church, the Church in Wales, the Church in Scotland were all going to commit to cutting their carbon that hard, that fast, by 2030. You know, it's a, it's a sea change. And that itself has, is really influencing others. Now, here's a big debate, but I noticed the other day that the Church of England have declared that they're 
divesting from Shell. Um, they're pulling their money out of fossil fuel. Now, the shockwaves that that will send through the financial system, that a body with trillions of investments is going, We've, we can't do this anymore. Um, you know, so, so by using everything that the churches have from our money, our own private pensions through the Church of England investments to land to the 26 bishops in the Anglican Church. Rightly or wrongly, there are 26 bishops of the Anglican Church in the House of Lords. They call them the Lord's Spiritual, but they're there. We can even, we're even part of government, whether we like it or not, you know? So use all of those things. We can have, I think, unique impact. I can't think of any other organization in this country that has all of those things, plus faith in the Creator God, the power of prayer. I mean, who else has all of those things? Yeah. So there you go. Massively powerful. <laughs> <Woo>. <laughs> um, yeah, fantastic. How, how then can, you kind of mentioned it already, but how then can as individuals and churches, how can we get involved in, in those changes in the work of Arusha? Mm. What can we do to help? Mm. So I think, you know, we're fired up, we're clapping. <laughs> but then what? Where, yeah. yeah, where do we go from here? So, I mean, I would say, you know, start where you can. I mean, there's a huge amount of guilt, particularly around with people of goodwill who want to do something and understand that humans are kind of causes. We all feel really guilty. There's all sorts of things you can't do, you can't afford to. It's not your fault. You know, do what you can do. Start where you can. Secondly, do it with others, like every aspect of Christian discipleship. We all know, you know, this is why we come to church on a Sunday, which is why we go to home groups. You can say you're a Christian, but trying to do it on your own without ever sharing with anybody else is hard work. You go off track, you get demoralized. Likewise, with some of these things around the environment, which are complex, challenging. I mean, there's a lot of good stuff that gives me a huge amount of joy, but some of it is also complex and challenging. Do it with others. Talk about it with others. Talk about it in your church. Talk about it in your home groups. What works, what doesn't work, you know? But then very practically, some things you can do. You may have done some of these already, or alternatively, it may not be possible for you. But the, 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 the single most productive thing you can do is switch to a green energy supplier in your home. So your, your electricity is coming from renewable energy. Now, unfortunately, some of them crashed a, a few months ago when, when the interest rates went up and everything. But things like octopus and so on remain really good you know, sources of green energy. It's really easy to do. My wife switched ours 10 years ago, took her 45 minutes online, and we're saving money, not spending more. So get your energy supply in your house onto a green energy source. Um, if you have choices on travel, um, you know, walk, cycle as much as you can. Some of you don't have choices. And I realize public transport is dodgy in some places, um, etc. Um, if you are taking five flying holidays again a year, you really need to start thinking about that because, um, you know, we've all got relatives abroad that we need to see. And, you know, there's some difficult challenges there. But really, flying is very carbon intensive. So, you know, looking at how you're, how you're traveling and whether you really need to travel that much by fossil fuel is important. Eco Church, you're talking about that already. Um, you're doing that, so carry on doing that. And one thing that came out of yesterday is the value of linking up with other churches that are doing it. And it was a delight to see people making connections here. Last thing I'd say, which is totally free, is using your voice. Um, because, and by that I mean speaking to your political representatives, local councillors, MPs, and so on. Um, lots of people go, well, I've never done that, it's a bit scary, whatever. I just want you to bear in mind something. You pay their salaries. You pay their salaries. 
out of our taxes, we're paying for our MPs. They are there to hear us and act upon it. They may agree with us, disagree with us, but you have every right, morally, politically, financially, to go to your MPs and your councillors and go, listen, madam, sir, this is what we would like you to do, this is what we believe should happen, and this is why. And if you don't tell them, they won't know, and they will go with the loudest voices telling them other things. So I would say, you know, every time you think, well, that's a really bad thing. Why has the government done that? The next thing is think, well, why don't I tell them that's what I think? Because that will make a big difference. And just bear this in mind. For all that we do in our own homes, and I say, it's, you know, it's morally right that we do those things in our homes. You and I can't make laws. You and I can't regulate business. You and I can't sign international agreements. You and I can't raise taxes and put taxes on the bad stuff and give subsidies to the good stuff. None of us individually have that power. That's the business of governments. They're the only ones who can use those hugely powerful instruments to drive a fair economy, to drive a green economy, whatever. So, and that's only gonna happen if you and I ask for it. So do what you can but recognise that governments have hugely more power than we have, but we pay their salaries. <laughs> Amazing. Thank you so much. Um, so uh, I'm just going to pray for you, Andy. I'm going to pray for Arusha. And then I was wondering if you could pray for us as Highgrove Church and as individuals as I'd well. Love to. I'd love to. I'd just say, you know, if you are, if any of this has made sense and we can help you, you'll find this little slip um, so just, there are various bulletins that we produce. This will explain what they are. They're all free. Um, do tick to receive one or more, whichever you want, um, and, and hand them in to Rosie or me afterwards on the stall, and we'll sign you up. So they're all about helping you, whether you're coordinating eco-church or you're interested in doing more in your own home while Christian, or just keeping up with what Ross UK is doing, e-news will help you do that. Okay, so please, we're, we're here to help you. If anybody wants to support us financially, that's always lovely because we're a small charity, we need to survive. That's the blue leaflet with the owl on the front. But it's not everyone's cup of tea, not everybody's ability to do. Primarily, we'd like to help you do the right thing at home and in church. So that's that slip on your, on your seat. Fantastic. Right, let's pray. Lord God, we thank you for Andy. We thank you for who he is and the opportunities and the... Um, positions you've given him throughout his career. Um, thank you for the networks that he's involved in. Thank you for the passion he has for this. And I should really pray your blessing on him, Lord, that you can um, keep inspiring him, keep him passionate, keep his heart focused on you and what um, you want this world to be like, Lord. And yeah, we just pray for Arusha as well. We pray that um, as an organization that they keep succeeding, that they keep growing faster than they can cope with because that's incredible. Um, and Lord, we just pray for that, um, yeah, that um, financial giving and the support and the people signing up, Lord. I pray that, um, yeah, Arusha can just be supported in every way uh, across this country and across the countries around the world who have uh, an Arusha organization, Lord. We thank you for the work they're doing. We thank you for the conservation work they're doing, for the engagement in communities. Um, 
yeah, just for everything you're guiding them with and blessing them with, Lord. And we just pray for more of your wisdom, more of you in that organization, Lord. We always need more of you. And yeah, we just really pray that now, Lord, um, that you could just, yeah, bless that organization. Bless Andy, bless the team that he works with in the UK, and bless each individual there, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. Oh Lord, and I pray for High Grove. I pray for uh, the leadership of this church. And for, uh, looking at it from the outside, it looks like there's a lot of people involved in leadership, which is wonderful. Lord, I, I, I pray for strength and wisdom for the leadership of the church. I pray for the witness of the church locally. I thank you for what is going on here uh, in terms of the wider mission and in terms of uh, caring for creation, being so bold and open about that, being a big part of what this church believes and does. And I pray that more and more around here will come to see and be influenced by Highgrove in, in turning towards you as a creator God and seeing the good people of this church demonstrate that in their own lives, that love for you and your creation. And I thank you for Rosie and, and, and Lara and there may be others helping behind the scenes yesterday for the fantastic day we had. And I pray that many of the connections that were made yesterday will also really help Highgrove and really help Bristol. Um, and, 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 and have uh, yeah, uh, lead to a sort of even greater flourishing of Christians working on creation and with others in Bristol. Bristol doesn't seem to be doing badly in the first place, but, it, but we all know we need to go further faster. So I really pray that, yes, they will have benefited Highgrove too in new relationships, new ideas, uh, new contacts. And I pray your safety on this church going forward. We know that when we do your will, we, we come under attack. We should not fear, but I do pray for safety for this church. And thinking of some of the uh, prayers we had earlier, people traveling to Zambia um, and other work going on. Lord, please put a ring of protection around all of that work and all of those travels across the summer. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Fantastic. Um...